Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor of about a dozen years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey, and this is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach. I'm a power lifter. I'm now back on the Highland Games field again, so I guess I can call myself a Highland Games athlete as well. And, uh, geez, uh, that's about it, you know, amongst other things that I do. But. Yeah. Our guest today, we're lucky to have J.L. Holdsworth. Uh, J.L., I'll just share a bit from his uh, bio here from Elite FTS, but um, was a collegiate athlete, strength coach at the University of Kentucky. Um, it talks about your, you being a forced rehab expert. I'm sure that'll be part of your origin story. Um, grip strength specialist. That's cool. Um, and, of course, small business owner. You oversee operations at the Spot Athletics. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah, down in Columbus, right? Is it Columbus proper, or are you in one of the suburbs down there? Uh, we're in Columbus. Our address is Columbus. I mean, we're close to some of the suburbs, but we're still in Columbus proper. And then, uh, gosh, your numbers. Uh, for those who don't know, I'm guessing a lot of listeners do know about JL, but um, JL's a big dude. Um, he's, he's got some nice uh, numbers here, a 905 best squat, 775 bench, and an 804 pull. So, and a Went to school, got a degree, got fits, and so educated guy as well. So it fits our uh, our theme here on Iron nicely. Anyway, uh, let's go to the news just very briefly, uh, and then we'll get to JL's origin story and whatnot. Strength and muscle sport news. I just had one little bit of news, and this is not my usual, but this is from the Today Show. Uh, last week I was talking about low-carb diets a lot. Jeff Bolek gave a really good talk about low-carb diets, and there were some other people, D'Agostino and some of these other researchers, last week in Florida on very low-carb diets. And some of the data is really impressive for body composition, right? So anyway, so on the Today Show, entitled Check Out Obi, the tubby dashend who lost half his weight. So this is a wiener dog, uh, lived with old folks who fed him people. And I can only imagine what they mean by people food, you know, if they fed him a regular sort of diet that's presented to us. But um, he just ballooned up to twice the size of a regular wiener doll. Uh, <laughs> the point of this in the low-carb link is they put him on a high-fiber, low-carb diet with vegetables and that sort of thing and, you know, dropped the, I can only imagine the people food that they got out of this dog's diet, but... He lost 54 of his 77 pounds since 2012. And I always thought that was interesting because dogs, I think, reflect their owners in a lot of ways. You know, like our animals live a long time, our pets. And I think it's a reflection partly of the way we eat and live. You know, like I'm not Max in her bowl, you know, and buckets of fries and that sort of thing. So anyway, uh, the dog lost so much weight, they had to remove two and a half pounds of excess skin and all this stuff. And anyway, so it's, from the Today Show, it's brand new stuff, June 23rd, 2014. And like I said, it's it's almost like a case example 
you know, of low-carb diets. But this dog just melted its fat away, basically, on a low-carb, high-fiber diet. Anyway, I, it's enough to make national news, I guess. I guess what I got is uh, a, lot of, a lot of deadlift records going down this year. So there was another one broken um, at the Battle of Champions. This Constantine positive broke the all-time 242 deadlift world record with a 893 pull. Um, that follows up, you know, another, uh, the Russians are going crazy here, man. There was another Russian in the, in the 198 that pulled 870 and, uh, um, in the 275s and 887 all this year. So some big pulls coming out of Russia, but <clears throat> pretty impressive stuff. There was a big, I know, you know, I, I'm fairly close with Donnie Thompson. He, he put up a big thing yesterday about just, he's pissed off at the Americans for sitting back and watching other countries just beat us he's like powerlifting was created here get off your asses and get back to work but you know so we'll see good stuff i don't know either way it's damn impressive to see that much weight going up at, at 228 pounds of body weight so um regardless of body weight it's a damn impressive bull so <clears throat> that's all i got man okay jl thanks for being patient here um let's talk about you how did you fulfill all of this stuff that I was reading in your bio. I mean, you're a well-rounded and high-achieving guy. Well, I think it's funny. Uh, I was talking to someone about this yesterday. Um, actually moving the Spot Athletics to a new location uh, this weekend, as a matter of fact. And uh, some, where we're going to the new location, uh, one of the guys who in a building next to us was kind of asking me this. And it's funny, I started out, uh, I always loved lifting weights, got into it when I was uh, 15, really just to get better at football. And uh, actually, in college, my, as a true freshman, I went in. My whole goal in life was uh, to be an attorney. And uh, so I always wanted to be, since I was little, I wanted to be an attorney and uh, blew out my knee um, my true freshman year in college, skiing. So played as a true freshman. Everything's going great. Went skiing, blew out my knee. So spent a lot of time in the training room. And uh, our trainer, uh, his name is Dave Lucy. Became really close with him. He kept giving me a lot of books on, you know, because my training up to that, it was, you know, you read flags or muscle and fitness or Ironman or whatever, and you get, you know, you get all your information. But then, you know, the trainer started giving me all this uh, scientific information on training and rehab and all this stuff. And I just really loved it and ate it up. And um, actually, like the next year, I changed my major. So basically, yeah, once I got, got interested in the science, I don't want to be a strength coach. Uh, I was at Ferris State University, uh, tried a couple different majors uh, that just didn't fulfill what I wanted to do. So I transferred to Wayne State University. Uh, they had a great exercise science program. Uh, so I graduated there and then uh, started doing strength conditioning uh, there and uh, then went down to University of Kentucky and uh, started my master's program at University of Kentucky and uh, then decided – it was funny, I, <clears throat> I actually – my girlfriend in college, her sister trained it. She was trained for the Olympics and weightlifting. And so I had an opportunity to move to Colorado Springs for a summer. Uh, so went out there, lived and trained for the summer. Um, that was really cool because basically, you know, got to learn to Olympic lift from obviously some of the best people in the country. And uh, so then when I got done with football, I started Olympic lifting and was like, okay, I like this. Uh, then I kind of got introduced to powerlifting um, and decided I liked that a heck of a lot more, and uh, I just had a knack for it. So um, I was at Kentucky, entered my first powerlifting meet, 
and uh, it was up here by Columbus, um, and actually beat. Um, I won one best lifter, beat all the guys that I compete against from Westside. So Louie invited me up to come train. So I uh, kind of sat down, wrote a pros and cons list, man. And uh, at the same time, I got an offer to be a strength coach at uh, Central Michigan. Uh, my old offensive coordinator got the head coach job there. So um, kind of sat down, wrote a pros and cons list, ended up at Westside. And, um, you know, so uh, trained here and things went wild. I ended up having a um, L5-S1 herniation that was, was pretty bad. Um, so I hadn't actually gotten on the platform now for 2004 senior nationals, APF senior nationals. And so now this past June, a couple of weeks ago, competed APF senior nationals again. It was my first meet in 10 years. So pretty excited to be back on the platform. Numbers, uh, you know, numbers aren't quite where they were in 2004, but uh, they're coming back up and uh, it's good to be back on the platform. Yeah. You, uh, you were still flirting, what, 500 bench, um, 700 pole? Was that right? Yeah, I pulled 705 easy, and then uh, I'd miss 501. And it's funny because my bench has always been my best thing, um, my strongest. I mean, I've been inclined bench 600 pounds. So, um, you know, bench has always been my best. But I tore my bicep uh, last year um, lifting up a car that was blocking me in. Not <laughs> <laughs> so uh tore my bicep and that's actually throwing my bench training off it's just funny like all these injuries i've had i've had to learn how to overcome them and uh, i just did a presentation uh at the um ohio um, nsca clinic about deadlifting one of the first slides i put on there is deadlifting is not dangerous like so i just you know pulled 705 no big deal my back feels great. It's it's not those things that injure your back. It's the other things people do. They just don't understand. So mm-hmm. I feel like in the U.S. it's like people respect it, but it's also the most feared lift. Like mm-hmm. you're done right. Right. So when you made that pros and cons list, um, what drew you to Westside instead of the collegiate coaching job? Well, um, you know, I was I was there. Um, I had kind of met a lot of good people and, and still people I'm friends with today and was kind of basically like, well, you know, if I go up to central and take this job, then that's, you know, that's what I'm doing, which is still what I wanted to do. But I was like, this is probably, you know, single, you know, all those things, no real attachments. I can move, train at West side for a couple of years, set some world records and go back into collegiate strength conditioning. Um, and so kind of it won out just because, it was the only opportunity I would ever have to, to do that. I couldn't be at a school and then just quit after I was established. And, um, you know, once I would get like a head job somewhere, you don't just quit and leave and, and you know, decide to go start lifting weights. Right. So, yeah. Just kind of a timing thing. And uh, the way it worked out, uh, I ended up having a son. Um, so that kept me in Columbus instead of going back into collegiate strength conditioning because, you know, the nature of the job and to move around a lot. And uh, so I had my son. Um, that's kept me in Columbus, and now I'm married and have a son and a daughter. So, um, you know, kind of got all my roots roots here now with my family. So, um, but originally it was just come here, set some world records, and then get back to complete strength conditioning. That's just, you know, the best laid plans, right? Right. Hey, a question for you. I don't know if you've read some recent uh, articles. Ripito was talking about how uh, exercise physiology degrees don't really matter i think from a coaching and lifting perspective yeah now i'm 
that's a broad generalization, but what, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think they helped? And if but so, it's like the person that says that strength doesn't matter in a fight till I punch him in the face. But <laughs> you know, like you know, it just it's easy to make those things, and I think people like that like to write articles because it gets hits and it gets people talking, and you know, like every once in a while I like to do stuff like that just to stir some stuff up. But, um, in general, that's like some of the worst advice I've ever heard. Um, so I definitely, every degree, no matter if you're an attorney or whatever the level of degree is, I don't care if you're, you know, a neurologist, like your degree just gives you that base of information and you're going to learn what you want and what you're going to do on the job. That's any degree. And so to say that exercise science degree is worthless, of course it's worthless, I mean, that's my biomechanics, my motor learning, my physics, all that stuff that I use on a daily basis to assess athletes and to design programs. If I didn't have that stuff, I wouldn't be half the strength coach I am today. I'm not saying I wouldn't know how to squat, but, you know, there's a hell of a lot more to build an athlete than knowing how to squat. And, you know, quite honestly, I've seen a lot of articles by a lot of people with degrees who can't squat, and I've seen them without degrees who can't squat either but knowing how to squat deadlift i mean you know it's, it's all how you want to break it down but that's some awful advice i mean your degree is what sets your that base your foundation to be able to build everything on top of it's not the top of the mountain it's the base of the mountain and if you don't have the base of the mountain who gives a shit about the top it's just going to fall over Right. And, you know, we've always been very straightforward about how there's different ways to get that kind of education. You know what I mean? I like what Phil says. When, when you've got a, an athlete who says, why? Why am I doing this, coach? You bet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you better understand the physiology and some mechanics and that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Otherwise, they're going to be like, you don't know why, do you? Yeah, exactly. If, yeah. If you can't answer that question, you're in trouble. I, yeah, I have the same philosophy. <laughs> I always say to all, everybody, if you can't answer why you're doing it, you maybe should look at why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you got to know why you're doing things because otherwise you, you, you're just picking things out of a hat. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think, yeah, I, I mean, I think honestly the degrees. Now, I will say, like, when you start getting into, and honestly, like, when you start getting into, um, it depends what what field you're going into, but, you know, does a – you know, does a strength coach need to have a master's in biomechanics? You know, maybe not, or exercise physiology. You know, that you know that the lab research side of it, it might be a little beyond what we're doing as far as strength and conditioning. But you know, like my buddy Brian Mann, like he, you know, he's a PhD, does all his research. It's great for him, and I love getting his research because then I can back up what I'm already doing. But uh, people out there like that that are lifters go to that you know, far like yourself, Lonnie. I mean, like, you know, like you're, you're someone who, you know, you get those, you go through that advanced degrees and, and then this research and stuff you do is applicable for a guy like me where I can take it and say, look, this is what I believe, but here's something that proves what I believe. And I know that by someone, you know, because there's a lot of, re- there's a lot of research out there that you look at how the study was done and you're like, these guys said, nope, we're doing Mm-hmm. No, that's true. I mean, you've got to have a foot in each camp, you know, a little bit of experience. It, even for someone like me, enough experience to guide, you know, my interests and decide, oh, let's look at that more closely, you know, that sort of thing. And, yeah, you can tell the guys who have no exposure at all, you know, they don't know what a heavy barbell even feels like on their back. That's mm-hmm. the thing. And, yeah, they, they ask some bonehead questions sometimes, you know, or stuff like obvious. Phil, you and I have talked about that before. Yeah. You know, uh New study finds, you know, that, oh, testosterone has muscle mass, you know. 
Yeah. Like, oh, that's going to change my whole outlook on life now. Thanks for letting me know. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah that's, I, I think, you know, the, the thing with, um, you know, the other side of that too is you're talking about that. So if I didn't have my degree, I, I don't know how I'd learn how to read research. Like how would I would be able to look at a study and be able to pick it apart or not? I mean, those are things that, that I learned in school that, quite frankly, weren't honed skills. I'm not, I think I have a pretty good base of logic and I'm a fairly intelligent person, but you know, that degree helped me take, you know, you know, look, look at this study logically. How do we break it down? What are the elements of a good study? Like all those things are things that, you know, do I need that when I'm, you know, programming a squat? No, but if I read a research study that says, Hey, everybody should be, you know, standing on one foot on a freaking BOSU ball squatting and it's the greatest thing ever. And I look at the study and these guys are retards, you know, like, but without that base of education, you don't know. I mean, it's hard to look at that stuff. And that's why I think you see a lot of these, um, you know, I won't call them strength coaches or personal trainers out there doing all this dumb stuff because they see a YouTube video or they read an article and just don't have they don't have the degree they don't have that deductive reasoning that you learn through getting that yeah that's a great point i think if how can you have an evidence-based practice if you don't know how to read evidence you know you don't, you don't have any critical thinking skills and like you right. said you watch youtube and you're like oh i'm gonna do that i saw two guys in the gym yesterday giving advice to this uh young man and you know i got to the point where i just listen I'm just a fly on the wall. You know, I'm watching the bro science unfold, and I just, I don't know. It's, I, I, I'm going to think I'm going to make business cards, like Iron Radio business cards, and quietly hand them to these young guys when they leave the gym. You know, here, give it a try. You know, you might want to he- hear stuff from guys like JL instead of, mm-hmm. you know. But, and you know what, too? I think a lot of times these articles that are online, these gurus that write stuff, or, you know, uh, even people who are accomplished, experienced uh, strength coaches, there's a difference between a degree in exercise physiology and coaching skills. Like you were saying, JL, one for, for provides a base. The other, you got to go learn that separately. You know what I mean? I am not a coach. Now, there's a lot of parallels between being a coach and a teacher, right. but I'm not a coach. And so the, I really push the students who uh, – who, who I am sending out, especially at the bachelor's level, you know, I said, listen, you're not going to have a license like a nurse or physical therapist or some of these other professions. So you, you know, you have to start getting yourself networked, uh, mm-hmm. not just for opportunities, but expose yourself to the best people. You know, well, I know that was well, part of your strategy for all. Yeah. Expose yourself to all these high-level coaches or like jail, like mm-hmm. said, with the Olympic Training Center and stuff. Well, I think like for me, it's funny. Like some of my stuff, it was never planned. I mean, it was really for me, like, the whole OTC thing was just, like, I was dating a girl and I wanted to get away for the summer, and then it just turned out to be really cool. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't, wasn't like, some big, like, master plan. But uh, And it's funny because um, I, there's a buddy of mine. It's funny. I, in Colorado Springs, so I work with this guy. His name's Travis Mash. And uh, Travis, good power lifter and Olympic lift, too. And um, we worked together out there, and then we – competed together in the WPO and I was like what do you I hadn't seen him in like five years and like I still see him all the time so it's like a random like there was like a lot of really good people there that year like for that summer it's funny because none of it was planned and you couldn't put that together probably if you tried but you know I think what you're saying with the experience side is like all those things that I did and you know training at Westside with with the training partners that I have 
you know, doing all the other things I've done and, and being around the great strength coaches, um, you know, that I've just came up with and are friends with, you know, it makes a lot. But I think that, you know, when you're talking about coaching, like, honestly, like, you know, I have a lot of, you know, we have a great internship program here at the spot and um, a lot of young guys and, you know, they're, you know, I'm going to go get my master's and we talk about what you should get your master's in. I tell all of them of coaching. Like that, that's the thing. If you're going to be a strength coach, get a master's in coaching, like the sports psychology, like all those things to me, that's way more important than an exercise physiology. Like you're not going to be putting people on a met cart in here, mm-hmm. but you sure shit you need to know how to communicate and need to know how to, like if a kid walks in, like how to pick them up and all the things that you do that are the little things in coaching, you're never going to learn in that bachelor's program. Like, you know, a master's in coaching, I, I think, for a strength coach is worth its weight in gold because the, the coaching skills are the hard ones. And I think especially younger kids growing up, you know, I think, you know, everything's text and email and the interpersonal communication is just being lost. Mm-hmm. And so I think things like that are, are valuable. Yeah. I, as a coach, what are you? It's people skills. You know, like oh, yeah. a group of grad students just a couple of days ago about primary and secondary infrafusal fibers in the proprioceptor. You know, I'm not sure a coach needs that stuff. You know, it's maybe too deep. So it depends on, yeah, that's a good idea to have that um, your eye on your prize. You know, what's your prize? What do you want to be? Well, know? yeah, I think like we have a group right now. We're working with a high school football team this summer, and uh, it's funny. I programmed from from what I thought, like, physiologically they would need. And then I got there and started learning the personality of the team, and what we're doing is totally different because they don't know how to win. So we have to cr- change a culture. So everything we're doing is geared towards mental side more than physical, really. And they're get better physically, but they're not an optimal physiological program for football. They're in an optimal Let's make a better culture for this team. And so those are the coaching things that, you know, they don't, you're not, you're not in exercise phase and they're going, okay, well, if you get an athlete, but mentally they're this and they need this kind of culture, like that's not the stuff that gets talked about in class. Like energy systems don't matter if you got people who are used to losing and don't have a culture of winning. So those are the things that, I, that, that people, they don't get talked about a lot, but I think are extremely important. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we need to get more sports psych people actually on the show um, tell you what, that's a good segue talking about coaching and everything let's go ahead and take a brief break and when we come back uh, we're going to talk about being a coach versus being a lifter uh, how they differ I've got some <laughs> uh, and of course anything he to share so we'll be back in just a minute Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, If you simply Google CRC Press and protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for $69 US dollars. So that's 31% off the $99.95 uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. $69, I think that's going to 
drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people, and you can even rent it. Uh, lower down the page, they have 180-day rentals and one-year rentals, so you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So, thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So – uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. <laughs> Fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, everybody, we are back with J.L. Holdsworth. It's uh, Phil and Lonnie, and we've got some questions about being a lifter versus being a coach. Um, first one, uh, J.L., how are they similar and how are they different? So I think the, the big thing in similarities is what you alluded to earlier, which is knowing what weight feels like on your back. I mean – you know, as a lifter, you understand like what it feels like to strain. You understand what it feels like to, to be sore, to, to go through the workouts. And I think, you know, even when, you know, I look at people coming in from uh, an athletic side as far as in my facility, it's like, I want to see, did you play team sports in high school? I mean, that honestly, and hopefully collegiate, but um, at least high school, because I think you have to know what it feels like to, to do the running drills, to train, to do everything. And if you don't, then I don't think you can effectively program as a coach because regardless of, of what things say, like you know what a heavy set of 20 squats feels like or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so or a heavy single or a heavy triple, you know what it does to a body because you've had it happen to yours. And so I think from a similarity standpoint, that's the biggest thing is just knowing that time under the bar. And I mean, I, I see programs, kids will come in here. We had a kid last summer come in, a college football player. His program for the summer, his strength coach programmed, like, it was like he maybe read an article about conjugate training one time. And, <laughs> like, because for eight weeks in the summer, the kid had to max, like, one rep max in the squat every single week. And I was like, there's no way the person who wrote this lifts. Because yeah. if you did that, you would feel like, hell i mean it just and so that's the thing about coaching is people you know they do get degrees but if they don't spend the time under the bar it matter and so i think the similarity is definitely just knowing what that weight feels like and, and what those workouts feel like and you know I, here where i say to people i never make anybody do anything that i haven't mm -hmm. 
And so, um, you know, if we're trying to experiment with new stuff, me and my staff experiment before we would ever try with our athletes. Um, as far as this, I think the big thing is the mentality. Um, I see a lot of great lifters who try to coach people. You know, I know guys who are, are great lifters who don't know very much about coaching. And, you know, just because it works for you, if you're already naturally gifted, not the rule. Amen. Yeah. Yep. A lot of people try to prove the rule with the exception, which is a horrible way of doing things. Um, you know, like you were talking about bench press earlier. Like I remember like my last summer uh, of college football, I remember that summer I did a triple with 500 pounds in the bench press. Like, so now like coming back from this injury and have to build things up, I'll be a lot better coach at building people's bench presses because now I have to actually work to get mine back up. Um, and so that's the one thing that, that gets, you know, people think great lifter. Oh, I'm going to have them as coach. Well, what have they done as a coach? That's what you want to ask. Not what have they done as a lifter because someone and, and being strong yourself are two vastly different things. Um, yeah. yeah. About being a coach and a lifter. And I always say this when I'm, when I'm lifting, um, you know, I don't like, I could never, it's a totally different mentality than coaching. I, I mean, when I get mind frame, it's totally different. You know, there's zero tolerance for anything when I'm training but, and I'm coaching their personal interpersonal communication that we're talking about being able to read somebody, you know, sometimes like I'll be working with people and, and I'll, you know, hear somebody running, you know, across the gym and I'll be like, okay, something's messed up with that, with their gait. And like, just little things like, you know, being able to the intricacies of coaching. Like, I think that understand how much different it is. Like anybody who has a God given talent, one of my guys that I work with, he's a financial advisor. And I said, you know, the thing is, I said, we were talking about like people, we were talking about some coaches and um, I said, like somebody inherited $10 million or let's say $10 billion. And then someone was deciding who they wanted to put their money with to invest. Do you want to give it to someone who inherited $10 billion or the guy that took somebody else's million and made it $10 billion? Yeah. Hey, that, that's one of my other questions here, which is very close to this. Which, you know what? I'll pose this one to Phil, and then Jay, I'll obviously jump in, okay? Um, how accomplished does a lifter have to be before he says, I'm a coach now. I can be a coach. How accomplished do you have to be? Do you have to be like JL was just saying? That's a tough one because, I mean, you see it all the time, and especially in the team sports. I mean, a lot of times the best coaches are the athlete that struggled the most, and they were, you know, second tier. It's because they had to work their ass off to get everything they want, so they understand it. You know, you know, you see it in football all the time. You know, the best coach is like the guy that, you know, he barely made the starting team because he really busted his ass. And and he learned the game, um, you know. He was a student of the game. So I mean, I think I think you have to do it. I mean, I think if you're going to teach, let's let's say in strength sports, I mean, I think it's invaluable. You've had to have competed if you're going to coach, you know, Olympic weightlifters and, and and powerlifters and stuff like that. I mean, I think you just you need to know the intricacies of a meet and 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 things like that. But I don't think you have to be like the the world record holder. Um, I think that's been proven over and over again by by some of the greatest coaches out there. But yeah, um, I think you need to have your foot in the game, or you just don't have an understanding of it. Yeah, <clears throat> building like Pep, who owns our gym here, he's not a he's not a big man. 
Yeah. And people listen to him. He has a lot of respect because he knows how to turn people into champions. Yeah. Um, well, it just goes back to the thing. You don't take diet advice from a guy who's fat. Like, yeah. Yeah. You take strength advice from a guy who's weak. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't think by any means, like, and, and here's the thing, like me, you know, deadlifting 800 pounds doesn't prove I know anything about a deadlift. God, he some skills to pick shit up. But, yeah. like, being able to turn someone else who's a 500-pound deadlifter into an 800-pound deadlifter, not mm-hmm. coach. And I, I, I totally agree with Phil. You, you don't have to be a world-class lifter. Just train. Yeah. You know, and especially we have a rule. Everybody has to compete in something here. Um, and I don't care. Be, you know, some of my guys do some grip contests. Um, some other people do, like, I got a guy who, who likes to do triathlon. So whatever. Like, I need you competing and training. Mm-hmm. There's the finality. Like, if you're just someone who wants to get in shape and look good naked, there's no finality to that. There's no season to that. Um, but if you're a 15-year-old kid and you need a college scholarship or you can't you can't pay for college, there's a finality. You mm-hmm. And I want my people to know what it feels like to program and get out and put yourself out there. And win or lose, you know what it's like to train, mm-hmm. what it's like to win or to lose. Yeah. Um, but I don't think by any means you have to be a world-class lifter to be a coach. I mean, I, you just have to train and train consistently. The great thing about this is strength is something you can do if you're 6 or if you're 76. And so, you know, whereas a football player, you can't play football. Like, I'm 36. I'm not going to go out there and play football. I'm going to get hurt. But mm-hmm. I, I can train every day. And that thing is, you know, people are like, well, you know, I'm 60, so I don't train anymore. Bullshit. Like, yeah. train every day and um that's the thing where like it's this is so much different than other sports because if you're playing baseball you're right you're not going to get out there and start class but if you're not training on a regular basis then you have no business being a coach because that you don't even have and this thing if you don't have enough passion to be doing it for yourself how mm-hmm. you know other people how to do it you have a passion for it i don't care what someone says if they're a coach and they don't train they don't have a passion for this yeah. or what they say Okay, hey, so here's a follow-up for that, JL. Um, this actually jumped into my head because I read an old, it was actually a, a Japanese book about the history of samurai. And there's a rule in this book that says um, a teacher should be 40 years old before he presumes to teach or something like that. And I thought it was an interesting proverb. And that begs the question for you then, how long does someone have to be training and learning before they take the mantle of leader and coach? How long? Well, I think it's like, I mean, it depends where you're at. I mean, you know, you can you be the smartest guy on the short bus and you're a leader, but. Uh, <laughs> okay. It's, it's where you're at. I mean, you know, you know, I was a strength coach uh, at, at Kentucky. And honestly, when I walked into Westside, you know, even though there was guys in there that I had just beaten in a meet, I shut my mouth and I listened. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to know. I, I definitely wasn't high man. So I mean, look, I, th- I think I was there for close to six months before Chuck Vogelpool ever said one word to me. And that was when I started, when I posted a bigger total than him. And then he started talking to me. But, <laughs> you know, like, but that's just it. You have to, I, I think you do. I think that's a great thing. You have to earn that right. But in this context, mm-hmm. like, if you're the most experienced guy and you're you're second your lift, and there's all your lifts around you, 
then you could be the coach. I'm not saying you'd be a great coach, but it's better than not coaching at all. And so I, I agree with you, like, it, but it depends what level you're coaching, you know, you know, six year old kids on how to run versus coaching a world-class sprinter on how to get, you know, 100th off his time. Like there's a difference. So I don't think, you know, a guy who just got, you know, a certification on the weekend should be coaching, you know, Olympic athletes, professional athletes. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean he can't be helping a housewife lose a little bit of weight or something, or, you know, even coaching someone on learning how to Olympic lift. Um, if, you know, they just got a, a club coach cert or whatnot, you know, um, they can coach someone who doesn't know how to do it at all, but mm-hmm. they're getting ready for some, someone ready for the Olympics. Yeah. This question has partly been blown up a little bit. Uh, you mentioned YouTube, you know, people watching YouTube and stuff. And Phil and Rob and I have talked about this before. Like, you know, you'll get someone who's got uh, two years under their belt. They're 21 years old, you know, and then they presume to start teaching people, you know, on their YouTube channel or in person, you know, and that sort of begged the question to me, well, you know, do you need to be in your 30s? You know what I mean? It, it, to ballpark some of this stuff. Now, I'm sure there's amazing lifters who are probably in their mid 20s. You know what I mean? But when it comes to coming back from injuries, like you've had to do JL or the education, the hours under the bar, you know, the hundreds or thousands of hours under the bar or helping other people under the bar, I do think it's an interesting question. Phil, what do you think? This is hard, but it's a hard one to answer because, I mean, I've, I've met. I've met 25-year-old guys and girls that, that have life experience beyond those of 50-year-olds. You know, so it just depends. I mean, I've met some really stupid old people, you know, so that's what makes it hard. Um, you know, I think it, it boils down to life experience and how much you've packed into your years more than it does years alone. And I think the same thing is said in training. I've met athletes that are, that are 20 years old and have a lot of miles and ones that are 40 and that are just getting new to it. So, I mean, I think that depends. But, I mean, I think... I don't know. We've talked about it before. I, I think the word coach nowadays is is one of those words that it's just been ruined, and it's three things like all these. Um, well, CrossFit's one of them. You know, you can now go out and and spend a thousand dollars and take a two day course, and and you're you're called a coach. Um, and and that's a disservice to the industry, I think. Um, but I would I'd, uh, conversation want to be called doctor. <laughs> I'd like to be doctor. Yeah. So. Um, no, I, I don't know. I mean, it's hard, it's hard to put a number of years on there. It just, I think a lot of it's just, uh, like, like JL said, it, it's shutting up and listening and knowing when to do that. Right. Um, Even with my back, which so. is not coaching, right, but I do the physiology. I mean, if I had a 24-year-old guy, you know, like a master's student, first-year, second-year master's student, presume to start teaching me stuff, I'd mm. raise an eyebrow. I'd be a little critical of the kid. You know what I mean? Um, no, that's not to say I wouldn't listen. He might have some gold nuggets for me there, you know, but uh, I admit that I would be a little bit, you know, where, you know, it's like, like uh, JL was just saying, doctor, or like when I get on a flight or if I go to a surgeon, I really have a sense of comfort if I see a few gray hairs on his temples. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but like you said, I think it's a good point. It's how many years do you pack in? I mean, if, if a kid's been Olympic lifting since he was a child and mm-hmm. into that, and he's 24 years old, well, he's got a lot more experience than I do. So, yeah. so. I, well, I was going to say, like, when I was, you know, 24, like, I had a big total. But uh, at this point, like, I think it was, like, the fourth best total in the world. But at this point, you know, now we're way down the road. I'm 36. I'm a million times better strength coach. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not a better lifter at this point, that's for sure, but <laughs> I'm a better strength coach. So, you know, it goes back to that point of being a lifter versus being a coach. Like, you know, all the all the experiences, all the rehab stuff I've had to go through and, and fix on my body, like, mm-hmm. it's made me, you know, look, do I wish I never got hurt? Obviously. I wish I never had an injury. Things would be a lot different. But I wouldn't be one-tenth of the strength coach I am today if gone through all the stuff I've gone through. So I think that makes a huge difference. No, I agree 100% with all the injuries I've had. I mean, I think I've learned that you you learn something in in coming back from those, you know, blowing biceps, you know, jacked up hips, uh, things like that. I mean, you you learn how to to work around things, and it it helps you. It's inevitable. I mean, as a strength coach, you don't want to hurt anybody, but it happens. And you, or you're going to have to have this kid that, that, that blew a knee, or you're going to have to do this and that. And and being able to have gone through it yourself, and and them even just the mental aspect of them knowing, look, dude, he's been through it, and he's still doing it. You know, I can come back too. Helps. Um, and like we we were talking about the training part, you know, I get out there and I train every week. And I think, I mean, I can honestly probably tell you that I'd probably lose 50 of my 75 clients if I just quit training, because they'd lose respect for me. You know, I don't have to be the strongest person, even though right now I'm the strongest person in the gym, but I got to get out there and put my work in or they're going to lose respect. And they're like, this guy didn't even do it. You know, do you even lift bro? And you know, so, yeah. yeah. You know, I think you have to feel and appreciate these things. You know, the, the fear of, Oh my God, I just tore something free, you know, and yeah. what, am I gonna, yeah. how am I going to have the courage to deal with that or the pain as you mm-hmm. soul through it? You know what I mean? You can't read about that. And I, I think people overuse the word art, you know, I tend to look at everything pretty, frankly, pretty objectively. I try to make everything a scientific method, you know, but that's where the art of coaching, I think, comes into play. And again, I'm not a coach, but I have torn muscles. I have competed and I understand I felt those things, you know, on some mm-hmm. level you appreciate them because you felt what that was like. And, uh, yeah. you know, I think that's important. I have one last question for you, fellas. Uh do you think it's a natural progression from lifter to coach? And if so, you know, is the fulfillment different? Do you find fulfillment as you evolve, you know, from coaching? Do you have to change gears in what you see as reward and fulfilling? Uh, what do you think, JL? Yeah, I don't think it's a natural progression by any I believe one of my biggest jobs is education. Uh, whether it's, you know, a, a young athlete who's eight or I get someone who's 80, it's still education and, and teaching. And that's what coaching is. You have to care about other people. Um, they're, they're very knowledgeable. They, they know all the, all the this programming facts. But then when I watch them try to coach somebody, they're, they could care less about how that person does. And so I think coaching, it's its own skill set. It's its own type of thing that, that that's totally different from being a lifter. And, you know, part, a big part of that is, is caring about other people. There's a big part of it that's altruistic. I, I think, like, you know, he, kid this year, you know, he really needed to be training four days a week, but his parents could only afford two days, you know, and, and legitimately that's all they could afford. And I said, well, if you guys get him here four days a week, we'll train him for two because that's what he needed. And then he got a college scholarship. And he's a kid who couldn't afford to go to college without mm-hmm. Right and, on. Those are the things that, that I enjoy as a coach is seeing kids like that, that, you know, he's going to probably better his life. And I don't think a lot of people just that are lifters have that. They're just doing what they like to lift. Going from lifter to coach, I, I think, is not a natural progression. Um, but I think that someone who is a 
good lifter who has those skills is going to be a good coach eventually. Um, but, but I don't think that, uh, I don't think you, I don't think it can happen in reverse. I don't think you decide to become a coach and then you'd be like, Oh, now I'm going to start lifting. <laughs> so I don't think it's going to happen backwards. Oh, right. Right. No, let me ask you as far as the fulfillment factor, you can talk about altruism and that sort of thing, but a lot of lifters are sort of warriors at heart too. I mean, you just got back on the platform. You know what I mean? So uh, is the success you see out of your clients and your, you know, your kids, is that as fulfilling as your own record lifts or is it different or maybe talk about that a bit? I would say it's, it's different. Like, okay, so like at seniors, I had a guy who um, he was bubble to, to qualify for Worlds. He had a tough class. So we went in, he, he needed a 600-pound deadlift. And um, in order to qualify and sneak into third, he needed 617. He pulled great he had a great training cycle it, but you know that was super fulfilling to see a mm-hmm. great thing but you know it's not as good as winning yourself i mean it it's great and there's a great feeling to be a part of that but nothing nothing beats winning you know yourself but mm-hmm. you know th- there's some great things about coaching you can't get as a lifter like one of my other guys in a tough battle with it with a guy and they were necking. i um some some knowledge of how meets run to help him win i basically bumped up his third deadlift attempt to something he could not accomplish he couldn't accomplish and my guy would win up so it was it was a fun tactic to use and it worked it's like that you know kind of that strategy stuff you don't use that as much as a lifter because you don't find yourself in those situations very often but as an athlete so you get find yourself in situations like that so um, you get definitely more often as a coach because you have more athletes but it's never going to feel quite as good as, as yourself. But out because you get it more as a coach because you have a lot more athletes than just yourself competing, say two or maybe three times a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Phil, you still compete, so obviously that separate slight separation there too. I mean, I know you also dig it when you're a lot of your your ladies there, you know, dominate so thoroughly, which they do. Um, but you still get on the platform. Oh, yeah, and I think it's, you know, to go back to the coach versus athlete thing, I mean, I think to be the best athlete in the world, you have to be you have to be very self-centered. And to be the best coach in the world, like J.L. was talking about, you have to really care about other people. And, and there's a difference there. And I think, you know, for me, when I decided I was going to be a coach is when, it, you know, at, at some point you do, you just have to start helping people. If you want to do this shit, you've got to start programming people. And even though you may not be the best at that point, but you're going to get better. And, you know, I don't know, for me it was – when I brought people to a meet for the first time. And I was more nervous at that than I was my own meet. It's like, I'm totally relaxed at my own. It's like, oh, it's just time to do work. You know, you get in there, and I didn't want to screw up for them um, as a coach. And that's, you know, you really care then. And, I mean, like I tell my people, my goal for all my lifters is I, I want them to all be stronger than I ever was. That, 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 the, the thing is, it's going to push me harder then. I'm not going to let them have it, you know, <laughs> which is a good thing, and they know that. But, you know, I, I, I truly want all my people to, to outlift me, and I want my athletes to be the best they can. And in that, you have to be a little unself-centered. You know, you have to actually care for what they're doing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so not all athletes I don't think can be great coaches, but, I mean, uh, it's a skill set that's going to help. So, <clears throat> Some good stuff. Thanks for coming on, JL. I appreciate that. Oh, thanks for having me. That was a good time. It's always fun to talk to you. You're a wealth of knowledge, you know. And uh, I think you just fit the mold here 
I may pester you to ask you to come back on. Maybe I'll get you and Julia both to come on together. What do you think? I think that'd be fun. Yeah, you know, I mean, I know it's in a lot of ways what we do. You're talking about altruism. We give away a lot of information on Iron Radio for free, but it's partly because of those, like the kid that you said that couldn't afford four days a week, or mm-hmm. you know the, how bamboozled I'm, I'm, probably all of us were in our teens. You know, with the uh, I don't know whether it's cheesy training programs or supplements or books or you know people need straight up talk. You know, and that's that's why we do it. Mm. Thanks, everybody, and uh, see you next week. Well, until next time. Hey. This is Rob Fortress Fortney. I'm here to tell you about some of the cool new stuff us guys at Iron Radio are bringing your way. Thanks to our loyal supporting members, we have enough cash flow to start migrating to Lipson, arguably the premier podcast host, and one that serves up some very high-end shows and tools. The change will start slowly with a little backup page that can be found right now on the Lipson website. This means our occasional server errors cannot keep the show out of your hands. But as we move more and more content over to the new server, it is going to allow us to do a couple of brand new things. First, we're playing an Iron Radio app for iPhone and Android. Believe it. If you're not sure what RSS feeds are or how to describe in iTunes, apps are a very simple way to get our content, either by downloading it or even streaming it through the app on a phone or tablet. Even better, you'll occasionally see a little E on an app link that means there's extra content you can access for that show. For example, we can add extended audio to a show, or even pics like wallpapers or science graphs that support what we're saying. The iPhone app even has a search feature. Want the show with Eddie Cohen right now? You'll be able to grab it quickly. Second, you'll see an improved media player on www.ironradio.org. You can download or listen easily right from the home page with no other windows or pop-ups necessary. Third, and maybe best, we'll be adding all new bonus content. Behind the scenes, special interviews, audio articles delivered from co-host personal libraries, on-site coverage, editorials, rants, bloopers, and more. The growth of the show and the new functionality does come with some cost. Starting in June, episodes older than a year... 50 shows will become premium content. There are several reasons for this. For one, serving audio to our growing listenership through a big boy system like Lipson costs a bit more. Second, our RSS feed service called FeedBurner has a limit, so this will keep us from having to drop early episodes one at a time as new ones come out. In fact, here's a tip. If you want all the old episodes at zero cost, download them before June 2014. We're telling you now because that's how we roll. So how does premium content work? You pick up an inexpensive subscription at my.lipson.com, which gets you every Iron Radio episode plus new bonus content that no one else can hear. These subscriptions are very cheap and can be gotten monthly, yearly, etc. Put when you want. Further, if you're a current supporting member through PayPal, we appreciate your ongoing support. Free new content each week is possible because of your dedication. You help thousands of young lifters, or anyone, get news, education, and entertainment that they otherwise might not get. 
simply email me through the ironradio.org homepage, and our web guru, Lonnie, will buy you a year's membership on my Lipson as an iron brother or sister. Finally, let me reiterate, as we grow, we want to keep new episodes free forever while providing better services and content for the whole Iron Army. Thanks 50 times for your ongoing support. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.